St. Mary's Case Cast here, Dr. Alamo with Dr. Keys to talk about urinary retention. So tell me about an interesting case that you've had. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and give you a case that's peripherally related to uh, urinary retention. Um, a few years back, uh, working in a, a large inner city hospital, uh, we saw a case of a, a young woman who was in her mid-20s. Uh, she came in brought by her family because she was not able to talk clearly. She was slurring her speech, kind of a muffled muffled speech, and uh, was brought into the emergency department, um, found with some sort of pills next to her bed. Um, she um, couldn't tell us any history at all, but fortunately we did have the family there. They, they told us that she had a history of depression. She had been un under counseling for that for some time, uh, but she had been doing quite well. She had been on fluoxetine, but uh, discontinued that three or four weeks earlier. Um, so uh, the patient was brought into the emergency department and she's on a monitor. She was very tachycardic and uh, she, had, she was, uh, had blood pressure of about 130 over 90. Uh, heart rate of 122. Um, clearly, something was wrong. She had she was slurred speech. She was had muffled voice. She just couldn't talk to us at all. Um, we asked somebody to go back to the house and and check on what the identity of the pills was. Actually, they had somebody there who they were able to call. Um, but meanwhile, we took a look at her. Um, she had. Um, uh, very large pupils, uh, five millimeter pupils that didn't react well to light, uh, dry mouth, uh, slightly flushed uh, uh, over the malar regions. Uh, the rest of her exam was only significant for some, um, some suprapubic distension. She had some decreased uh, bowel sounds uh, on abdominal exam. Chest and heart were clear, um, and otherwise her exam was unremarkable. Um, <clears throat> so we, uh, we got an EKG on her and it showed a sinus tachycardia with a narrow complex, um, normal axis. Um, the rate was in the, in the mid-120s. Uh, we suspected that she had uh, taken Benadryl, but we were able to confirm this because someone called and they, they found a bottle of uh, diphenhydramine uh, generic uh, spilled on the couch, uh, and they felt that at least half of the bottle was missing. So it seemed like we had a clear clear uh, diphenhydramine overdose. Um, the patient had really clear characteristics of an anticholinergic overdose. So the patient, uh, if you look back on this history, uh, the patient had tachycardia, she had a dry mouth, uh, pupils were large, minimally reactive, or no, no reaction actually to light. This is also very typical. Um, she um, had decreased bowel sounds. Um, it's interesting that she also had this, this distension that it turned out to be uh, bladder distension and uh, she did require a Foley catheter with a large volume uh, of return after that. So um, we were faced with a decision. You know, the patient was, was in the emergency department, unable to speak, kind of slurred speech. She had this very muffled sound voice, which is incidentally is very characteristic of anticholinergic overdose. Can't express themselves. They, they're, they're trying to talk to you, but they just can't. And you can't make any sense of what they're saying. Um, and uh, so we did decide to uh, apply the antidote, which is physostigmine. 
um, she was given one milligram IV push uh, slowly, and uh, over the ensuing five to ten minutes, she actually cleared up completely and was able to tell us exactly what happened. She said that she'd been feeling depressed, she just broke up with her boyfriend, um, and uh, she had, uh, had just overdosed on these pills, drank some alcohol, and, and uh, taken this overdose. Uh, try to hurt herself. I, I uh, failed to mention that laboratory exam screening was basically negative and she had a negative pregnancy test, which is always important uh, to check in these situations. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, okay, uh, maybe, maybe I'll add a couple okay. of points. Uh, so uh, let's talk to you. So you may want to ask me uh, about this use of this antidote. Should we be using physostigmine? Um, in actuality, you may not need to. You really don't need to. You can you can use an, uh, a, uh, a benzodiazepine, try to calm the patient down, and many times that's really sufficient. Uh, you can use physostigmine, and uh, it's interesting that that is that what it is is it's a um, it's it's a uh, acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. So it's like it's a carbamate. And you may remember that uh, that insecticides are typically, you know, the classic insecticides are either organophosphates or carbamates. You won't find that uh, organophosphates they they poison your ability to. Um, to break down acetylcholine, and so you end up with this big cholinergic syndrome. Well, the you, the physostigmine gives us the opposite. Of the, well, well, actually, is one of those. It's a carbamate, so the carbamates are reversible, unlike the organophosphates, which can eventually be irreversible. So why do I mention all this to you? You can use physostigmine, which is uh, one of those medicinal carbamates that are uh, that can be used. Uh, in this kind of a situation. It's the only one that crosses the blood-brain barrier. Another example is tensilon or edrophonium, but that does not cross the blood-brain barrier. It would only work peripherally. So, so you can give this uh, physostigmine, and it's fallen in and out of favor over the years. For a while, there was a big concern about using this antidote um, because there was a thought that you could you know, have bad outcomes, and there was a case report of a cardiac arrest. So uh, the key in if using it, if you are going to use it, is get an EKG. Um, and you need to make sure that your EKG has a narrow complex QRS. Uh, you do not want to give physostigmine in a patient who has um, a tricyclic antidepressant on board. Because if you do provoke a seizure in that patient, which is one of the possible outcomes, it's the worst thing you can possibly do. When you give a, uh, an anticholine, if you give a, uh, cause a patient with a tricyclic to have a seizure, uh, you cause them to have lactic acidosis. Anyone who has a seizure has a lactic acidosis. And what will happen is you end up freeing more of the toxin, the tricyclic, from the proteins. And it actually makes them more toxic and it's sort of a circular, spiraling, downward course because now they're seizing, they're getting more toxic, they're getting, you know, they start to get uh, increased seizures and uh, CNS effects. Uh, you can go into cardiac arrhythmias and death. So, you know, that having been said, there is one study that was done uh, out of um, UC San Diego a number of years back where they looked at a, a large series of patients with physostigmine and found no problems with it. Even one case actually had a seizure and, and on a tricyclic, which is not an appropriate indication for using it, but that even that patient did well. So we probably could use it more than we do. It's, it's probably safer than, than what people think. 
What, just to remind uh, the listeners real quick, what are the characteristics of an anticholinergic? So anticholinergics have, uh, you know, there's that, that saying, uh, uh, dry as a bone, red as a beet, mad as a hatter. Uh, you know, uh, so you might have urinary retention, you have decreased bowel sounds. Um, those are typical things that you might see in an anticholinergic overdose. What are some examples of anticholinergics? Uh, well, one of them is this, antihistamines, especially the sedating variety. Uh, also, you can have anti-Parkinson's like cogentin. Uh, antidiarrheal, one type of antidiarrheal is Lomatil has atropine and diphenoxalate. Diphenoxalate's an opiate analog, so that, you know, opiates cause constipation. But they also have actually have atropine in it, which is sort of the paradigmatic anticholinergic, right? That's what you think about when you think about an anticholinergic drug. Uh, antipsychotics can also have anticholinergic effects, like phenothiazines in particular. Uh, atypical antipsychotics will only, um, well, lanzapine can have it. Uh, quetiapine is really well known for causing tachycardia. Um, and, um, and so those are some examples of medications. The truth is a lot of medications have anticholinergic effects. So she, you really should know this syndrome because something like 500 medications have anticholinergic effects. And it's something that you really need to keep in mind. Um, so you need to learn this toxic syndrome. So hopefully I'll give you a little bit of an insight uh, the, you know, about this type of a toxic situation and um, how to uh, confront it. Thank you.